Bibles, if we're open to the book of Isaiah, we are going to be in the 55th chapter. If I can find it here, okay. You know, we, we all want to have a purpose. And we do. We all have a purpose in our lives. I believe that some, for some of us, that purpose changes over time. Once we have completed something that the Lord wants us to do, He may lay a new path out in front of us. And that's a good thing. But there is an ultimate purpose that He has for us. We can find this in the book of Isaiah. You know, for, for the last six weeks now, we have been exploring Isaiah 53 through Isaiah 55. And I believe that these chapters are probably the most richly gospel-packed section outside of, obviously, the four gospels. We began with chapter 53, looking at one of the most significant and most clearly predicted prophecy of Christ that's found in the Old Testament. Seven centuries before the birth of Christ, God inspired Isaiah to write about substitutionary atonement, a very important um, doctrine that we hold to in a way that points forward to the cross. I'm going to read to you verses 5 and 6 of Isaiah 53. It says, But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. We are, we, we are like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. As believers, as those that know what happens in the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we know that that is pointing to the cross. There's no doubt that the cross is there. This is the gospel in Isaiah. In fact, it's the very center of the gospel message. The cross is at the center of the message of the good news of Jesus Christ. That he died for us in our place, was buried in a borrowed tomb of a rich man, rose again on the third day. So that you and I could spend eternity with him in paradise. This is is not just some story that somebody made up. This is what happened. This is what God had planned, what God made happen, what changes our lives. Without this here in Isaiah and what happens in the Gospels, you and I are without hope. We have this treasure, this treasure of this gospel message that we have. Then in Isaiah 54, we encounter the work of the suffering servant who will go to the very ends of the earth. And and so Zion, the city of God, will have to be expanded. It will not be able to hold all the people. The current boundaries of Jerusalem, and I, I didn't look up to see how large the city is, but currently it could not hold the number of people who will ultimately come to it who are believers in Christ. Verses 2 and 3 of Isaiah 54 say, Enlarge the place of your tent and let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. For you will spread abroad to the right and to the left, and your offspring will possess the nations and will people the desolate cities. I'm looking forward to that day when people flock together because of Jesus Christ. I think today, unfortunately, many churches see this. They see people flocking in, but they're flocking in because of the personality of the pastor. Not going to be a problem here. But there's a, they, the pastor's teaching them something that makes them feel good about themselves, so they want to come. 
And believe me, I want you to feel good, but not about yourself. I want you to feel good about Jesus Christ. I want you to feel good about where you are in Christ. Because that's what matters. I can tell you what you should do tomorrow, how you can live the perfect life. Well, I can make a suggestion, but there is no such thing as a perfect life except for the life that Jesus Christ lived. There it is. And then we came... We come to this amazing chapter 55. Two weeks ago, we were, we were invited to this banquet that God is going to have for us, calling us sinners to a feast of salvation. And we, and we look at the menu. The menu includes water, which is eternal life. It includes milk, which is for spiritual nourishment. It includes wine, which is a symbol of joyful celebration. God's calling those of us who are thirsty, those who realize that they're thirsty, and those who don't. He's calling the ones who have nothing to offer. And those who are squandering their resources on things that don't quench their thirst, who don't solve their hunger, that won't save them. And he tells them, come. Come to me and buy, but buy without money. And he's not talking about digital currency either. He's talking about buying. You don't have to buy. Why? Because the bill has already been paid. And the amazing thing about all this is that it's not going to cost us anything. But within that, we, we talked last week about the urgency in that invitation. Verses 6 and 9, and especially verse 6, we see, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. If that's what it says, if it says while he may be found and while he is near, which means there's going to come a time where he, you can't find him and he won't be near. And we know that's going to happen one day. When God decides that time is over and, and, it, it, and it's time for him to come back, when God decides it's time to send Jesus to come back and take his, get his people to gather his bride, when Jesus decides to come back for the final battle, time is done. Time is up. If you haven't accepted Christ by then, it's too late. So seek the Lord now before it's too late. Turn from your wicked ways to the Lord and, and who wishes to abundantly pardon us. He forgives much better than we do. And to finish up this amazing section of Isaiah, we're going to come to verses 10 through 11 of Isaiah 55, and we're going to look at the purposes of God today. What are God's purposes? And we're going to focus on a couple of different areas. First, we're going to begin talking about what is the purpose of God's word. You look at His word, and it, it's been it's it's held it's 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 formed through time. But what was the purpose of it? Our God, whose ways are not our ways. In fact, His ways are far above our ways. He yearns to forgive us, have us come to the table. He's going to send a powerful force out there to bring about his desire. He wants his table full of people. In 2 Peter 3, 9, it says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but he's patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. That's God's wish, but that's not what's going to happen. There will be those. People, some people take that verse and say, Well, see right there, it says everybody's going to be saved. That's not what it says. It says that's what he wishes. But that's not what happens. He wishes that Adam and Eve had never touched that fruit in the garden. He wishes that his angels had never rebelled. He wishes that Satan had never rebelled. I mean, you can read it when he talks about 
Satan in Scripture where he says, you were a guardian cherub. You were in the garden. You had everything. Why? You know, you can see the love that he has for his creation, whether it is the physical creation or the unseen realm. He longs to pardon us. He wants his table full. And that power that he's sending out to lead us to repentance is his word. And it will be as effective as the rain. Look what it says here in Isaiah 55, verses 10 and 11. It says, for, and he's, he's using a comparison here. He says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth. So the rain doesn't just come down, hit the ground, and go back up and not do anything. But it waters the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes out of my mouth. My word is going to be like the rain. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I propose. And then we're going to talk about this purpose. His purpose is, the purpose of it is to send out his word to call us back to him. It shall accomplish that which I propose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. So for, we have God in heaven sending out his word. He did it through the prophets. He did it through the writers of the New Testament. He did it through, through Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Peter, Jude, Paul. He, he wrote through them. He, he, the Holy Spirit inspired them by using the words of God inspired to them to write. And it's being sent to those who are being held captive in Satan's kingdom. In dungeons, chained by their sins. Satan has a hold on this world and we need to be delivered from the wickedness that is in each of our hearts. That's why we sang that first song. In verse 7 of Isaiah 55, we were told that we struggle with sin... Why we struggle with sin? We struggle with sin, why? Because we are wicked. It says, let the wicked forsake his ways and the unrighteous man his thoughts. We are wicked. We have sin. We have a sin nature. We're born with it. Thank you, Adam. Not this Adam. We're born with it. We are wicked. That's why we sin. We need to forsake those ways. But, and God gives us the ability, he gives us the ability to overcome them. He delivers us from the wickedness. He is the chain breaker. Colossians, Paul wrote to the church at Colossae in Colossians 1.13, he says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. We are no longer in Satan's kingdom. We're here, yeah, we're living in this world which you look outside and isn't it beautiful right now? I mean, the corn growing and the beans and the sunshine when there's no, you know, smoke from Canada, Canadians, but I love Canada, but that's okay, but when, when there's not any smoke, it's, it's beautiful, I mean, just look at it, look outside, you can look outside this night now, you don't have to watch me, look outside, the green grass, our garden's growing, isn't, isn't that beautiful, but understand that there are problems there, I was working in my garden yesterday, I'm chipping a bunch of wood, and I'm putting the wood chips in my garden, kind of out of a mulch, and I make my own dirt. I know. I, I take peat moss and, and different materials and compost, and I make my own dirt. There should be no weeds. Guess what? There are weeds in my gardens. Why? Why? 
Because of Adam? Because this is... Not this one. Because... <laughs> I don't want to think of the wrong thing. Uh, <laughs> because because we, we live in a world that's fallen. And it's Satan's kingdom. And we're, we are strangers in this world. I, I, I've got a kind of a, a strange sense of humor sometimes. I think the reason why we're still here is, be, is to, to stick it to, in Satan's face and say, look, God says, my children are in your kingdom, and yet look, look how faithful they are. You are in my kingdom too. You couldn't remain faithful, but they can. Not because of their own ability, but because of what I did on the cross. God's going to deliver us from this one day, though. But God, he's, and he, what he uses to draw people to him is the word of God. The word of God changes people. They're not just some words on a piece of paper or on a book. It changes lives if the Holy Spirit's calling and if the person's willing to listen. I can, my kids could be outside and they could be playing and I could call them and call them and call them and, and, and they could not hear me even though they're probably you know, within earshot of me. Why? Because they're not listening. They don't do it that often, but that's okay. But the thing is, we've got to listen. We've got to hear the word. And God, what he does is he likens, he, he compares his word to rain and to snow. It's, it's a great metaphor. You know, I love the rain. I, I, I have a greenhouse, so I can't, I can't, I have to water my greenhouse every day because it gets 120 degrees in there. And right now I only have herbs in there, but it's not too bad. But I have to water it. But my garden, I love it when it rains. First of all, because it, I don't have to water my garden when it rains. Second of all, I collect all the rainwater off my gutters, and now I have water to, rain, to, to water my greenhouse. I love it when it rains. It nourishes the ground. There's nothing sweeter than going outside. I don't know about you, but I love going outside, and I usually go out barefoot, right after it rains, and smelling the crisp cleanness of the air. That's God's Word. That's God's Word, what it does to our hearts. Rain is amazing, and God's Word has a heavenly origin, just like rain does. Yes, the Bible's written by men, but they're inspired by the Holy Spirit. God's word, the Bible starts with him. He's the one who spoke it. Remember, his ways are far above our ways. Because it then comes from his mouth, and it falls like rain to the earth. And, and like I say, rain is amazing. It sustains us. It sustains the plants. It's a gift of God. Just ask any far, farmer, how long would you, we survive without rain? Not long. But think about the mechanics of rain. How does rain work? Where does rain come from? Aiden. Where does rain come from? God. But where does it come? Where do you see it come from when you look at it? The clouds. His sister answered for him. The clouds. It comes from the sky, right? Rains come from. Rain comes from the sky. But that's not really where it comes from. Yes, God is the ultimate source. But rain itself doesn't start there. The process of rain begins at much earlier than what the clouds are. So let's look at it from the perspective of a farmer in the Middle East. In order for the crops to grow and their livestock to live, they depend on the rain. So several hundred miles 
from the Mediterranean Sea. We need to get that water from there to the farm. And to carry it would be a lot of work. To put it in a truck would be a lot of work. If So what happens is, there's got to be a better way of doing it. But let's think about water. If one inch of water falls on a square mile of farmland, just one inch on a square mile, that would be 27,878,400 cubic feet of water. Cubic feet is this, you know. 27 million cubic feet of water. Or (laughs) 206 billion or 206 billion or 206 million 340 thousand 160 gallons or 1 billion 650 million 501 thousand 280 pounds of water now imagine having to carry 1 billion pounds of water to get an inch of rain on one square mile seems impossible now think about that. Think about that one inch of rain that will cover one square mile is in the sky. And it weighs 1,650,501,280 pounds. That's heavy. How does it stay in the sky? How does that much weight stay in the sky? Well, God created this thing called evaporation. What happens is water is converted into a gas, which is a lot lighter than a liquid. So it rises into the sky and gathers in the clouds. So you have all this water that was, if it was water vapor, it was water itself, it would weigh 1 billion pounds, but it's able to float in the sky. So how does it get back to the earth? Well, God created this idea called condensation and what happens is all the little water vapor molecules gather around a piece of dust and keep gathering and gathering and gathering and then all of a sudden it becomes heavy enough to drop to the earth but there's a problem here because if water comes from the mediterranean sea that water is salty what happens if I was to go out to my garden and pour salt water on my plants? What would happen? They'd be dead, wouldn't they? So how do we get rid of the salt? How does the salt get out of the water? Well, God created a process of, of where electricity actually occurs. And what it does is the ions draw out the salt from the water. And then the water falls as fresh water. Now... If all that water fell on the earth at one time, on that farm, think about that. Think of one billion gallons of water falling at once. Take a bucket of water out to your garden and dump it. What would it do? What would it do to the corn? It would destroy it. The beans would be gone. So how does it do that? How does it only drop in droplets? Well, God did this amazing thing by making the droplets get big enough so they fall not so big that they destroy the crops, and not so small that they re-evaporate as they're going down. Because remember, air is going past it as it's falling. It was, it's re-evaporating. It may begin at this weight here, but as it drops, it loses some of its weight because it's, being, it's evaporating until it hits the ground. That's amazing. 
God did, created the process for all of that to happen. They're just big enough to drop and not evaporate. That's God's word. God's word is amazing. It does these things. And God's gift of rain is the gift of life, just as God's word is the gift of life. Uh, There's no doubt that this process of rain displays God's glory and his power and his goodness. So the next time it's raining, I want you to stand there and I want you to praise God for the rain. Because without it, we wouldn't be here. We would be dead. It's a gift that provides so much for us and serves its purpose perfectly, just like his word. So God's word accomplishes its purpose like the rain. The word goes out of the mouth of God, goes through the ministry of the Holy Spirit to the apostles and the prophets who wrote it down, and then by the Spirit, God moves missionaries, evangelists, pastors, teachers, neighbors, friends, family members to deliver his word to the people. And like evaporation, God's word returns to him in praise and worship, bringing glory to the one who deserves all the credit. See, worship is the harvest of the word of God. And God's word like rain is essential to our lives, to our spiritual lives. In Deuteronomy 8.3, says, And he humbled you. He let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. You always wonder where Jesus gets that verse when he's tempted in the desert. It's Deuteronomy 8.3. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's what sustains us. And God's word wins every time. Back in Isaiah 14, verses 26 and 27, it says, This is the purpose that is proposed concerning the whole earth. And this is the hand that is stretched out over all the nations. For the Lord of hosts has proposed who and who will annul it. His hand is stretched out and who will turn it back. God's purpose for his word is to gather us together and to return praises to him. So when we share the word of God, it never returns empty. Now, I know, I know what you might be thinking. You know, I I have this friend of mine, and I shared the word of God with them, and they looked at me and they told me I was crazy and walked away from me. Now, you tell me how that fulfilled its purpose. Well, it does. Bear with me here. God's word serves its purpose both to those who believe it and those who don't. For those who believe it, those that God chose before the foundations of the earth, the world, the word moves us to repent and to believe. Not a single one of those who God has chosen will be lost. And when the word goes out and falls on the ears of those who are reprobate, who won't listen, who are never going to turn to God, it also serves its purpose. Because when they reject God's word, its purpose is to harden their hearts. In their anger at God and his word, their hearts get hardened. And that is the purpose of the word of God also. When when Moses was standing before Pharaoh, 
He didn't say, I say, let my people go. He says what? The Lord says, let my people go. And what happened to Pharaoh's heart? It got hardened and got hardened and got hardened each time he heard Moses speak the words of God. Until finally God did the ultimate thing and he took Pharaoh's own son. And then it softened and he let the people go, but it didn't last long. Because he, because every single time God hardened his heart. But I believe at the end, after he let the Israelites go and then he went to chase them in the desert, he hardened his own heart. The purpose of God's word is either to turn you to Christ or to harden your heart. But why does God allow it? Wouldn't it be better if God just made it so every time somebody heard the word of God, they accepted him, they, they repented? Well, remember, his ways are not our ways. We don't always understand it. It's got a bigger purpose that we don't always understand. But he and his word are sovereign. All-powerful, all-knowing. So we share the gospel with everyone we encounter because we don't know who's going, whose heart's hardened. We don't know, and we might know if we're close to them, we know because of how they're acting. But we don't know, so we share it with whoever we can. And it serves its purpose for both those who repent and believe and those who reject it. So that's the purpose of God's word, is to call us to him so we can worship him like the rain God also has a purpose for us. Look at verse 12 of Isaiah 55. He says, For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace, and the mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. See, for you and I as believers in Christ, we have a huge, amazingly sweet purpose. We get to go out and be led forth in peace. This is very Exodus-type language. We're going to be free from our slavery, to, let out from where? The slavery to sin. We're going to be let out from that, from the wickedness that keeps us chained to this kingdom of Satan. And because of this, our hearts are going to be filled with joy. Think about this. Think about the, 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 the pain and the, the, the weight of the sins we have on And we think, we can, I'm, I'm, I can handle it. It's good. Until we get a glimpse and we get a feeling that those chains are gone. One of, my, one of my favorite versions of the Christmas uh, carol is with Albert Finney. It's a musical. My kids don't like musicals. I love musicals. And in the end, he's in, he's in hell, and <laughs> his, Marley brings out this chain for him, and this chain has links in it that are this big. And it's been what he's been weaving his whole life. And they put it on him, and it just weighs him down to the ground. That's what sin does to you. But when he finally realizes what he's done wrong and he's back in his bed, the chains are gone. And he's, his spirit is light. For now we get to experience the joy that comes through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, breaking those chains of sin in our lives and through the hearing of the gospel. And we get to experience the joy that comes from sharing that word of God with somebody and them believing you know, I, I, I think sometimes in my life I, I get to the point where I, I kind of take for granted my salvation. I don't have that same feeling I had at the beginning. So guess what I need to do in order to renew that? I need to go out and I need to share the gospel with somebody. 
so that they experience that and then I can live through them again. I'm reminded of what it's like to have the chains of sin taken off of our shoulders. If I just sit around and try to pray, say, pray that God will bring that back to me, no, I need to go out and share the gospel and lead somebody else to Christ and have them experience what I did and we experience it together. And it renews us. I think that's one of the reasons why God uses us to, to spread the gospel instead of just broadcasting across the sky, which he kind of does if you go to the book of Romans. A man's without excuse since the beginning of time. His attributes have been seen in nature. But he wants us to share the gospel with others so that it rejuvenates us too. And this is just a foretaste of what's to come. At the resurrection, you and I are going to experience so much joy that we'll be free from death, from mourning, from tears, from crying, from pain. It's gone forever. And we're going to be led forth in peace by Christ. The idea of peace is, the, the, the true idea of peace is this right relationship with God. I, as all believers, we run through these times in our lives where we think, boy, did I, am, am I saved? Am I, you know, it's not like, oh gosh, I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm reprobate. It's just like, you know, we, 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 we make our salvation sure by questioning, you know, am I living the life I'm supposed to? Am I, do I show that I believe in Christ? Am I walking in that way? Am I praying? Am I reading my Bible? Am I, those are not things that save us, but those are things that, in, that we do as a result of our salvation. Am I sharing the gospel? But when that time comes, there's going to be no doubt. We'll be walking with Christ. There'll be no doubt that we are, we've done it through Christ. But we get to experience the fact that we're going to spend eternity with him, being led forth in peace, having a right relationship with God. Because if you find that you're struggling with peace in your life today, you better check your relationship with the Prince of Peace and make sure that is right first. The peace of God transcends all understanding and guards our hearts in Christ. Now, imagine the feeling of peace will be like when we are in heaven forever and we're standing with Christ what amazing, I mean, we're all going to be giddy. I mean, we're not going to be laughing like the crazy Pentecostals sometimes have a tendency to do, but we're going to be, this is it. I mean, think about it. You know, I, I love riding roller coasters so that when we get up to the line, when the line's been long, we've been there, and it has been a long, it's been a long time since I've ridden a roller coaster, mind you, but I remember being in a long line for like an hour, and you get up and you're like, you're standing at the gate, and the cars, the, the car comes in, you're like, <gasps> that giddiness. Guess what? We're gonna live that when we're with Christ. It's gonna be better than anything we can experience here on earth. No more enemies, no more temptation, no more Satan, no more guilt, freedom forever. Our joy will be complete, and we will celebrate with abandon. That is God's purpose for us. God also has a purpose for creation. Verse 13. Instead of a thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. And shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. You know, at, at the fall, when, when, when Adam and Eve sinned, creation itself was subjected to sin, to a curse. Paul tells us, in Romans 8, for the creation was subjected to futility, hence why I have weeds in my garden. Not willingly, and why some of my plants just don't want to grow, but because of him who subjected it in hope 
that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. Now sometimes I've felt an earthquake in this area. I wonder sometimes maybe that's the earth groaning because of its subjection to the futility you know, normally when we look at salvation in the Bible, it's always centered upon us. We always think about us as that's the center of, of salvation. But the reality is humanity is not the only thing that's going to be delivered from the curse. We know from Scripture that all creation was also cursed. God cursed the earth because of Adam's sin in Genesis 3.17. says that to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife. Gentlemen, that's not a, <laughs> that's not a mandate to not listen to your wife, by the way. And have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, unless she tells you something you know you shouldn't do. You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. That was Adam's curse. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat the bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken for your dust. And the dust you shall return. So the ground was made to have thistles and thorns and weeds and because of what Adam did. But at the, at the resurrection, at our resurrection, all of creation is going to be made right again. No more thorns. No more thistles. No more weeds. I'm not saying that those plants won't be around, but they're not going to be weeds. Okay? The physical creation is waiting for us. It's waiting, it's groaning, waiting for us, for the elect to finish getting saved. Once that occurs, all of creation will fulfill its purpose by being liberated from the decay of bondage to sin that's placed upon them by the fall of man. One day it's going to happen. And then everything will have fulfilled its main purpose, to bring glory to God. That is the purpose of everything. That's your purpose, my purpose, God's Word's purpose, and the purpose of creation is to bring God glory. It's right for God to make a name for Himself. He doesn't do it for evil and selfish purposes like most of us humans would. Remember, there's no evil in him there's no darkness in him god's name will forever be praised and as we experience everything in the new heaven and the new earth as has to offer us for eternity we're going to see the glory of god shining brightly in everything and we'll never stop saying to god be the glory for the salvation he has freely given to those he loves we will forever. Now, I, don't, I do not believe that we're going to be sitting on a cloud just singing all the time. But we're going to experience things. And you know what? We're not going to say, oh, how amazing that is. We're going to say, oh, how amazing God is. Isn't it awesome what we get to experience because of God? I'm, I'm in awe of, of the plants that I grow. And I know it's not because of me because I could very easily kill them. And sometimes in spite of me, God still makes them grow. Isn't he amazing? He deserves all the glory. 
And that is our purpose. So what do we do? First of all, come those who are thirsty. Don't miss the banquet. Now, whether you are a believer or not, whether you are thirsty, whether you are spending your your time on things that don't matter, it doesn't matter. Come to the banquet. Look to Christ as your salvation. Trust Him for the forgiveness of your sins. And if you're a believer, repent if you've wandered, if you've walked away, if you haven't been doing what you know you're supposed to do. Repent. We need to live lives of repentance. And if you're a follower of Christ and your, your heart doesn't yearn for those who have lost, who have lost, who don't know the gospel, that's what we should be yearning for. It should. The day of salvation is here and the time is short. Live your life in repentance and faith. Search your heart for anything that's wicked. Lay it at the feet of Christ and go and share the gospel with everyone you encounter. As you go, make disciples of all nations. And we need to place our full confidence in the word of God. It's not me, it's God's word. The word is enough to build the church. The word is enough to build our lives in Christ. And lastly, live your life in joy. And the source of that joy, the source of that joy is the salvation that is provided by Christ on the cross. This world, this world is prone to unhappiness. This world is prone to depression, especially recently in the last three years. The amount of depression, the amount of suicides have increased exponentially. This world does nothing but create unhappiness if we allow it to. But you know what? When we have Christ, we can find joy in the midst of struggles. We can find joy in the midst of depression. We can find joy in the midst of tribulation. But we have to remember that the second fruit of the Spirit is joy. Love comes first. Joy is second. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. St. Augustine wrote, Following after God is the desire of happiness. To reach God is happiness itself. God delights in you. Like the rain, His Word is calling us. Are we delighting in Him? Let's pray.